Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 106, An Imperial Tour of Italy, 1327 to 1329. Very often, when you are amidst chaos and confusion, it can help to take a step back and look at things from further away. This is often helped by an external pair of eyes to help look at things differently. Therefore, to help us have a look at the Italian situation in the 1320s, we're going to borrow the eyes of yet another would-be Holy Roman Emperor who was under the illusion that they were still in the Middle Ages of the Ottonians, the Henrys and the Fredericks. Thanks to him, we will visit with the Visconti of Milan, the Della Scala of Verona, the Este of Ferrara, Castruccio Castracani of Lucca, and the Gonzaga of Mantua. The man in question was Louis IV, known as the Bavarian, which sounds pretty cool, Louis the Bavarian, but it was actually used as a sort of insult, as if to say, Holy Roman Emperor, pfuh, your influence goes no further than a bit of Germany. Anyway, after the death of Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII, in 1314, Louis was elected King of Germany by the German nobles. He was the first of his line, the Wittelsbach, to receive the honour and, of course, the headache. This was an example of how the electoral system in Germany stepped in to override the hereditary system. I mention this because the previous king of Germany and then of Italy and then Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII did actually have a son who could have inherited, Johann I, and I mention him because we'll come back to him in a bit. He would become king of Bohemia. Now, the new King Louis sought straight away to get the Pope on his side. The Pope at the time was that determined and aggressive John XXII, whom we have seen launched an actual crusade against the Visconti of Milan. The Pope was not too keen on jumping on board with the new guy, since his election had by far not been unanimous, and the Pope didn't want to rock the boat too much, and hope to remain neutral. The desire for neutrality, obviously, pushed Louis to an anti-papal position and soon enough, would you believe it, he made good on that old tradition of kings on Germany to head down into Italy. So, what was the situation he came down to? Well, we've already mentioned a few of the names here and there. For example, when speaking of the start of the Signoria as they substituted the institutions of the communes or in the Battle of the Bucket. But let's take advantage of King Louis's point of view to have a better look. 
Just a reminder, the signoria were the hereditary regimes of a single family that substituted the communes between the 13th and 14th centuries. We've had quite some time to talk about the Visconti and their takeover, lost to the Della Torre and then re-takeover of Milan, and then surrounding areas and cities, all the while fighting off the opposition and even crusade, as we saw, from Pope John XXII. At the time of the descent of Louis the Bavarian, the Signore of the Visconti was Azzone, and they were going through a moment of decline as another family star was on the rise, that of the Della Scala of Verona. So, let's take a moment to talk about the lovely city of Verona. This is the city of Romeo and Juliet, and although she never really existed, you can find Juliet's balcony there in a courtyard. There is no swimming pool in said courtyard, so the Claire Danes and DiCaprio scene would not have worked very well there. I remember that the last time I visited, tourists had had the particularly disgusting habit of sticking chewing gum to the wall under the balcony that created a gross collage of colours. However, I believe that in recent years there has been a clean-up operation and you now can get a hefty fine for sticking your gum there and quite right to. Verona is also well known for its beautiful Roman amphitheatre, which is still functioning today as an open-air arena where you can go and see concerts and operas. In more recent times, Verona has been a centre of attraction for some controversy. You see, the town council of Verona is in the hands of the Lega, the League, the right-wing anti-immigration party. This has made it a centre of attraction for events such as the Family Day, which officially is an event in favour of the traditional family, but is in fact an anti-LGBTQ event. More recently, Verona has been in the news again for revoking the honorary citizenship of an anti-mafia journalist, Roberto Saviano. Critics speculate that this could be due to the harsh criticism by the journalist of the League Party and its policies, as well as criticism of scandals such as the misappropriation of 49 million euros in party funds. Back in the 13th and 14th centuries, Verona's position was convenient for trade. Placed in the opening of the Adige Valley, it was a strategic stopover point for people heading up over the Alps or on their way down, and you could navigate along the river from the city all the way to the sea. This meant that in the 12th century, trade flourished, and so did the nascent merchant class, which managed to throw off the yoke of noble rulers and form a commune. The beginning of the end of said commune came in 1261, when a prominent merchant, Mastino della Scala, was elected podesta and captain of the people. Mastino translates into mastiff, a breed of dog. Mastino was selected not so much due to a violent coup or general military prowess, but for his skill as an organiser and administrator. The new signoria was actually really set up by Mastino's brother and successor, Alberto, who ruled within the confines of communal structures, 
until 1307 when his three sons, Bartolomeo, Albuino and, wait for it, Can Grande, meaning big dog, took over. By 1311, Can Grande was on his own and this was also the year in which he was named as the imperial representative by Henry VII. Once the Della Scala, meaning of the ladder or stairs, had consolidated their hold on Verona, they looked to expand to the surrounding areas and, after a 20-year-long struggle, managed to take Vicenza, Padova, Treviso and others. That brings us more or less back to the descent of Louis IV, in which the Della Scala, while siding with the pro-imperial Ghibelline coalition that included the Visconti, hoped to take advantage of the Milanese moment of weakness to further their advantage. Before we continue with the descent of Louis, however, we need to take a look at one of the other big players in northern Italy at the time, the Este of Ferrara. The family was of antique noble origin, dating back to the times of Charlemagne, and had been granted the title of Marquis or Marquis of the city of Este. Never quite sure how you pronounce that, I should perhaps look it up. In the current day province of Padova, in the northeast of Italy. It was Obizzo II of Este who moved the court to Ferrara in the late 12th century. Obizzo also managed to get involved in the peace negotiations between Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa and Pope Alexander III. They had some issues actually holding on to Ferrara due to the opposition particularly of the Salinguerra family, but in the end, thanks also to the help of the Republic of Venice, they managed to get a definitive hold on the city. We visited Ferrara briefly when we were talking about Venice, because it was the succession crisis after the death of Azzo VIII d'Este that ended up starting a war between Venice and the papacy in which Venice came out the worst. Speaking of visiting Ferrara, I do highly recommend it. It's not too big, so you can get around easily and parking isn't too bad. You can visit the lovely castle with a moat in the centre of the city and even take a boat ride around the moat, although the boat is almost as wide as the moat itself. They have an excellent buskers festival in the autumn. To come around full circle to our 1327, the guy in charge in that year was Obizzo d'Este III, although we have also spoken about his brother, Rinaldo, who was one of the heroes of the Battle of the Bucket. Now that we have all the characters we need, we're ready to see how things went with Louis the Bavarian. Before we go there, however, a last word from our sponsors. So, King Louis of Germany and his new band of buddies had a good old diet in Monza, where Louis was crowned king of the Kingdom of Italy with the Iron Crown of the Lombards. While they were there, they had a good old gossip and whinge about the Pope. With alternating progression, he made his way down to Rome, where he was crowned. Obviously, he was not crowned by the Pope, also because the Pope was back up in Avignon. The crowning was done by the captain of the people of Rome, Giacomo Sciarra, a member of the powerful Colonna family. 
Louis then proceeded to issue a decree called Jacques de Cause, which was the real name of the Pope, in which the Pope was declared deposed as a heretic. In his place, Louis nominated Pietro Rainalducci as Nicholas V, but that didn't last much longer after Louis left Rome and John XXII could see out his reign. It seemed like now would be a good time to leave Rome because Pope John XXII had called in the help of his buddy, Robert, King of Naples, who happily obliged by sending up a fleet, but never managed to engage with the newly crowned emperor. That's also because, as always, he had to guard his back from his mortal, lifelong enemy, Frederick of Sicily. On his way back up, Louis stopped off to help the allied Ghibelline city of Pisa, which was under threat from the Guelph Florence due to the fact that Pisa's signore, Castruccio Castracani, had died. So that allows us to stop for a sec and have a look at this eccentrically named family, but more than the family, Castruccio himself. The family rose to prominence as bankers and merchants, and it was only in Castruccio himself that they made the move over to a military commander. Indeed, Castruccio was an example of one of the condottieri, the sellsword military leaders, who became so powerful and well-known due to his military prowess that he was able to set up a signoria and even become a duke. He was a native of the Tuscan city of Lucca, a lovely city that still has its medieval walls intact and where you can see the holy face of Lucca, a large crucifix. If you are fans of the Rex Factor podcast, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There is also an event called Lucca Comics, which is a sort of city-wide Comic-Con. Castruccio was expelled from Lucca in 1300 and made his way to Pisa and then to England. His military skill allowed him to win many jousts and won him the favour of King Edward I. Unfortunately, a murder he committed to defend his honour forced him to flee to France, where he offered his services to King Philip the Fair and distinguished himself in various battles. He then returned to Italy, spending time in Venice and Verona. He was back in his native Tuscany, fighting for the Ghibelline side in the 1310s, and was at the important battle of Montecatini in 1315, in which he helped to defeat a Guelph League led by the Florentines. A year later, in 1316, he was nominated Capitano Generale, General Captain, and then Consul for Life in Lucca and Pisa. From then on, he was able to consolidate his hold over the Signoria, and in 1324, Castruccio was made imperial representative by Louis. 1325 saw him participate in the two important battles of Montepascio in Tuscany, where he again defeated the Florentines, and of course, the Battle of the Bucket later that year, again on the winning side of the Modernese Ghibellines. He died at the age of only 37 in 1328, which brings us back to when Louis stopped off in Pisa. At the time, Castruccio was planning yet another attack on Florence itself. 
Had he survived longer, the history of Florence and its position as a cradle of the Renaissance may have been very different. As it was, Louis's presence simply delayed the inevitable takeover by Florence of almost all of Tuscany. After that, he made his way back up to Germany and will let him go, for that is another history. Suffice it to say that his turbulent relationship with the Pope would last for the rest of his life, while the Italian Signori would make their peace with John XXII. We will use Louis one last time to mention that in 1329 he also named Ludovico or Luigi I of Gonzaga as imperial representative of Mantua. Now the Gonzaga are a pretty big deal in Italian and European history. Indeed, descendants of the family would eventually marry into the Habsburg dynasty and see two empresses and a queen of Poland. They originated, would you believe it, from the town of Gonzaga in the current-day province of Mantova. They were first officially mentioned by our old friend and heroine Matilda, Countess of Canossa, back in the late 11th century. Indeed, the Gonzaga were close to the monks of the abbacy of San Benedetto in Polirone, founded by the Canossa family. The founder of the dynasty is considered Filippo Corradi da Gonzaga, which is interesting because Corradi is my surname. As far as I know, I am not a duke or count, but I will look into it and may require listeners to address me as Your Grace when you get in touch. The big moment for the dynasty came when Luigi or Ludovico I managed to oust Rinaldo Bonaccorsi, Lord of Mantua, and take his place in 1328. The Gonzaga would eventually become dukes and rule over Mantua until 1707, almost four centuries. Mantua is well worth a visit. To keep with the Romeo and Juliet theme, it's where Romeo goes in exile and then receives the news that Juliet is dead. It's not a huge city, so you can visit it in a day or two and even go for a boat ride as it is surrounded on three sides by a lake and then you can go along the Po River. Like many Italian cities, you can also stay there much longer and still not see everything there is to see. The castle is also quite impressive. Well, the time has come to thank Louis IV, Holy Roman Emperor, for allowing us to follow him on this trip to get to know some of the Signoria, the hereditary single-family ruler system that were by now consolidating in northern and central Italy. Thanks to him we visited the Visconti in Milan with Azzone, the Della Scala in Verona with Can Grande, the Este in Ferrara with Obizzo III, Castruccio Castracani in Pisa and Lucca, and the Gonzaga with Luigi in Mantua. Thanks very much to Louis for that visit. Thanks very much also to all of you for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the second half of the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level Marxist-Leninist-Sicilian Mike M. Neville, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Renee B., Roberta D., Rod L., Rodney N., Rudy F., Sam, Scott L., 
Sean M, Shelby, Stephen, and TO5. And of course, the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, Maxime, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, and Sen. Also, a very, very warm welcome to the first Patreon supporters of 2021, and that is Edward K, Ryan D, Beppe F, and Francisco. And thanks very much to Sean M for moving up to the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and thank you to Demetrio M for moving from the Giuseppe and Anita Garibaldi level up to the Matilde di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level. Remember, if you wish to get in touch, you can do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can have a look at our website where you can click through to our social media and also get in touch in that way. You can also go to our support page and become a Patreon supporter and have access to extra content. You will also find maps and timelines to help you navigate our country's complicated history. Once again, thanks to everyone so much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.